Welcome to Macintosh and Mod. Haven't seen what? The podcast where we make each other watch movies we should have already seen. I'm Diana. And I'm David. And today we watched A Nightmare on Elm Street 3, Dream Warriors. A psychiatrist familiar with knife-wielding dream demon Freddy Krueger helps teens at a mental hospital battle the killer who is invading their dreams. All right, it's time for our third installment. Dream Warriors. Dream Warriors. <laughs> Throw in some fucking docking, baby. Yeah. It is 1987. <laughs> Very much so. How do we feel about this one? This is a good movie. It is a pretty good movie. Like, is it perfect? Absolutely not. This is a movie from the 80s. It's a Nightmare on Elm Street movie. No. But, like, the concept is great. It's a very good story, mm-hmm. and what it lacks in technical ability, because that is always going to be the issue with the budgets they're working with, mm-hmm. it makes up for in solid acting, mm-hmm. with a notable exception. Sure. And it's incredibly believable from the original movie. Mm-hmm. I, I, we, we mentioned this. If this had been the direct follow-up, to Nightmare on Elm Street mm-hmm. and the Freddy's Revenge storyline had come later in the series. Mm-hmm. I think all of this works better. Sure. Um, This one feels like a more direct sequel to the first one. It is. Well, yes, it is for a couple of our players within involved, but it just, yeah, it's just, it's, it's more interesting. <laughs> it follows the same rules as the first one, which is why, like, part of why, like, the second one felt weak. So this one is fun. And, like, the concept, again, while dark, makes complete sense in that way that feels really good. Like, Heather's, yeah, I really like it. Well, not to throw a Wes Craven thing out. This is this is the Scream 4 move to Scream. A little bit. Of your young... Final girl character now comes back in an authority place of like, I've seen this. I know what happens. Yeah. Well, I know what how this plays out. Uh-huh. Yeah, no, and I like that. This is um I don't I don't want to compare it too much to Scream, even though like the characters are based on the same people from the same people, but this we we have a completely different type of murder, which is why it's fun. Yeah. It's just it that convention, seeing it here and then seeing it play out later. Mm-hmm. was nice it was a nice tie-in well the budget for this film was four and a half million dollars it opened to 8.8 million and grossed 45 million dollars cash printing machine yes this was the first film from new line cinemas to receive a national theatrical release which was about 1300 theaters ah uh... Prior to this, films were only released on a regional basis, opening in a couple cities one month and moving on to another city the next. Damn. Yeah. That's how small they were. They couldn't get that kind of distribution. Yeah, 87. So let's uh, get to what, like, probably the main reason why we think this film is so good, and that is the writing. Mm-hmm. We have R- Wes Craven is back, not only stories and character, but also the screenplay. Hey! He's Wes fucking Craven. We do not have to give his credits, but we have a couple more people listed as well. We've got Bruce Wagner, who also worked on the story and the screenplay. Before this, he did Young Lust. And after this, he did Scenes from the Class Struggle in Beverly Hills, Wild Palms, I'm Losing You, 
State of the Union on television and Map of the Stars. He's actually a writer and novelist who writes about kind of like the cynical side of Hollywood. Okay. And then we have Chuck Russell, also who contributed to the screenplay. Before this, he did Dreamscape. And after this, The Blob in Paradise City. And then we have somebody that we are all familiar with. We have Frank Darabont. Mm -hmm. This is his first major writing credit. After this, he wrote The Blob, The Fly 2, Tales from the Crypt, Young Indiana Jones Chronicles, The Shawshank Redemption, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, The Green Mile, The Mist, 2014's Godzilla, and oh yeah, The Walking Dead. What do we think about the writing? It's really weird to me that Frank Darabont is actually secretly a horror guy. It's not a It's secret. not surprising, but it is funny. It's not a secret. All of his stuff is horror. Even Shawshank. Even Shawshank is horror, but it's more of a psychological thing. I mean, it's solid. It is having Wes on its own gives enough of the story here. Mm-hmm. It, it elevates it enough to where it feels like a smart, mm-hmm. thoughtful sequel to the original movie. Mm-hmm. Which again, the reason the first movie worked as well as it did, because let me tell you, nobody in that movie can act to save their life. Mm-hmm. But the writing and the story saves it. Yeah. Well, and the effects. The effects are just off the charts good in the first one. Yes. Incredibly creepy. Mm-hmm. And in this one, they took that idea and expanded the world. It's like mm-hmm. we talked about with John Wick, where in the first movie, you have your situation. In the second one, you grow it. I liked on that one. Yeah, that one, they grew it just a tiny bit. And in the third one, they exploded it. Right. So Wes Craven didn't have anything to do with the first sequel, Freddy 2, um, because he didn't think that Nightmare was able to spawn franchises but that movie changed his mind so then he decided all right i'll come and do this the idea for the mental hospital treating the dream warriors was not a ripoff of cuckoo's nest but was inspired by real life establishments um at the time there was a movement that they advertised on television like send us your troubled child we'll make them okay and they were basically prisons or insane asylums yeah we there's a pretty common thread coming out of the hippie era yeah and in wes's original draft freddie was supposed to be born at the beginning of the film in like a ranch style house and that was supposed to be the place where the victims um wound up revealing why freddie kept coming back um again and again and then Nancy and her dad would have burnt it down. And so the last survivor, Kristen, would go back in time and basically kill baby Freddy with the glove. <laughs> like that was like the original plan. That's fucking rad as hell. I know. Um, I love that idea. <laughs> that's kind of cool. Um, I do really like the idea of like a female like putting on the glove and being like, I will beat you at your own game, fucker. I mean, <sighs> I will also say that is the kind of movie that I feel like they would make in 2015. Yeah. <laughs> Not the kind of movie they could do in 1987. That that feels a little too dark for the 80s. And the 80s has some dark shit, but that feels like a bridge too far. Not something New Line is willing to go for with their, we're going to give you a pretty small amount of money and we expect you to make 10 times that. <laughs> yeah. And Robert England actually wrote a treatment for this movie, but it wasn't used. Yeah, that 
that makes sense. I appreciate that he's getting his input in there, though, which is he is the franchise. He is a he is the one person who should be allowed to weigh in on story decisions. It's like a weird, bizarro world, James Bond. A little bit, a little bit. <laughs> uh, let's move on to our directing. We have Chuck Russell. This is his directorial debut. After this, he did The Blob, The Mask, Eraser, Bless the Child, The Scorpio King, I Am Wrath, Jung Lee, and Paradise City. What do we think of Chuck Russell's direction? It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> Based on his later credits, he did not actively do anything that would be um, damaging to this movie as it might be for some of these other movies, because some of them are bad. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, The Scorpion King is not a good movie. I've never seen it. That's the one with... Uh... The Rock. Okay, yeah. It is a follow-up standalone sequel to The Mummy, and ooh, 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 it's not good. Mm -hmm. It's fine. <laughs> the other thing, too, is you cannot expect a lot of directing out of movies like these. Mm -hmm. Partially because it's debut, but I think mostly because... They're not going to give them a lot of a lot to work with. So you don't really have a choice. You just kind of got to run and gun it <laughs> with films like these, particularly in the 80s, because we've we've seen first time directors do horror films really well. Yes. Um, yes. Nowadays, because, you know, there's also, you know, you can use YouTube as your directing school like you really can. Well, and and you have you have the ability to get a film quality on your phone. That is, I mean. 10 times better than what they had access to for this film. Sure. Um, if the writing is not top-notch superb, you've got to have actors with a lot of skills. And if you have a first-time director and first-time actors, that's just a lot of like learning on the fly. And you can get lucky for sure, but that's just a whole lot of magic has to like come together for it to be stellar. And let's be honest, how how were they going to find actors that good for a movie like this? I mean, I don't know. It happens. It does happen. Jamie Lee Curtis, she's that good. <laughs> so, yes, this is Chuck Russell's first film, but the script he and Frank Darabont delivered called for a budget of about $20 million to pull off the effects. <laughs> so the set was really tense which is not an ideal setting for our main character played by Patricia Arquette. And this is also her film debut. Like on the first day of filming, production was so far behind, they didn't get to her scenes until 4 a.m. And at that point, she had forgotten all her lines. Oh, boy. So like they did a bajillion takes and they had to feed her lines via cue card. So like Russell has admitted that he may have pushed her too hard. You think? Fair. The, like, again, this is part of that inexperience. Like a really seasoned actor would probably be able to power through that. Like, that's a horrible condition. That shouldn't happen for anyone. This is also why we support the writers and acting strike. But mm -hmm. yeah, like this is this is why having a bunch of brand new people can be hard. Again, they called for a $20 million movie. Yeah, that was never happening. They wrote a $20 million movie. Yeah, that does make things difficult. New Line looking at that being like, that's funny. Take out one of the zeros. Mm -hmm. Yeah, pretty much. Um, <laughs> we do have a who could have been better. For our director, interesting. Mm -hmm. Yes, Joseph Rubin was the studio's first choice to direct the film, since he had already directed the 
similar theme dreamscape in 1984. Um, he had to decline because he was already signed to direct the stepfather. So he recommended his co-writer, Chuck Russell. Stepfather also on the list of sneaky good 80s horror movies, supposedly. Don't I'm not familiar with that one enough to know. All right, so let's move on to our cast. We start, of course, with Robert England as Freddy Krueger. How do we feel about him in this film? He's Freddy, next cast member. <sighs> You're no fun. I'm just kidding. <laughs> no fun. This feels like the slow slide into we're going to do some bits with Freddy. Mm-hmm. And it's not bad, mm-hmm. but you can kind of feel it here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Where like in the first two, especially in the first one, he's fucking terrifying. The second one, they played with it a little bit, but still scary. This one, it's like, okay, now you're starting to do bits. Mm-hmm. A little and bit. And I don't know how I feel about that. There's some gimmicky moments in this. And it's specifically gimmicky for Freddy. Yes. So it's, it's like, I don't know if it was the right moment to bring that out in this movie. I think that's because we have Wes reestablishing some of the character rules. And so they kind of leaned into it a bit to reestablish it because he does feel he his evil and his powers feel less ambiguous in this film than it did in the second one. Yeah. So I think that's probably why they feel a little hokey. And also, again, like we're watching this in like a vacuum of of just Freddy. So, well, man, this goes back to directing, but some of the effects. There's there's some stuff, especially like the direct sort of moments, and there's some really cool like claymation moments and things mm-hmm. like that. And then you have like the wizard sequence. Yeah. Which is just bad. <laughs> it's just bad. That one made less sense. Like I feel like they went too far with like the sparkles for that one. I mean, the fun part is there's all these sparkles, and then Freddie just knifes the guy and was like, fuck you. that's fun but for one week during filming robert england was working 24 hours a day Uh, by day he was wrapping up filming on his television series downtown and then he would report to nightmare on elm street at night robert go sleep buddy (laughs) one of these particularly tiring days on set he fell asleep in his dressing room in full freddy makeup and when he woke up he looked in the mirror and got freaked out I bet you would. (laughs) That's the greatest thing ever. He scared himself. (laughs) I love that so much. That sounds about right. All right, let's move on to Heather Langenkamp as Nancy Thompson. She's back. Nancy's back with her white shock of hair. Since she wasn't in the last one, and it's been a minute since we've talked about her credits, Nightmare on Elm Street before and Nickel Mountain after this film. She did Shocker, Just the Ten of Us. She played Nancy Kerrigan in a TV movie. I remember watching that. She is kind of perfect casting for that. Absolutely perfect. She's a new nightmare, The Bet, Star Trek Into Darkness, a lot of small horror films. She she had a good career as cameo queen for a while. And then she was recently in the Netflix series, The Midnight Club. Hmm. What do we think of Heather Langenkamp? Oh, no. (laughs) I know. She's not very good in this. No, she's really not. She was so good in the first one. She was the one actor in that first movie that actually hit the right note. Mm -hmm. And she doesn't get this character at all. (laughs) I don't think it's her. I think Uh... 
all of her scenes she has written with the uh, with the doctor neil he is horrible and the way he's not horrible but the way they set up all those scenes it's like they're in a romance film with a with a horror side quest well they are because it's the 80s i know but that is the majority of her interaction with everyone so she just comes off as another kid and like she doesn't get to hold her own i wish they had tried to make her just a little bit older than she is because she's a grad student yeah and like i know that would have played with the timeline but i would have loved let's make her a full adult she's doing you know maybe she's doing her thesis work to become a doctor to become a psychiatrist specializing in dreams and i would have loved like more like her taking charge of the time with the kids in in group and all of that but because all of her interaction is with this older man it's just absurd and she comes off as so earnest and she is earnest she's an earnest character and that's fine but it just rings horrible. And I don't think it's her. I think it's the writing and the setup of those scenes. I, I think it has to be a good chunk of her too. <laughs> Cause even when she's alone with them, when when the kids are out acting her mm-hmm. in the one-on-one scenes with all of them, I'm not saying she's a bad actress. I'm saying she does not understand this this re this refresh of this character. She is not finding it or she's playing it exactly the same way she did before. Well, I, I could be a combination of all of those things, but I also think what do they want out of Nancy for this? Like, ex- I mean, yeah. you got to figure that out for yourself, Heather. True. But if they bring Nancy back, why? Well, I think the story's pretty good as to why you bring back Nancy. Because she's the only person who understands this. And I, I don't disagree with you that the structure is bad to insert another doctor. It should have been, this place is treating these kids like crap and I'm the only one who gets what's actually going on. Mm-hmm. That's what it should have been only. But the problem is, is that even when we do get near those moments, she still can't reach the level she needs to. Yeah, she's It's, it's a both and for me. All right, well, we'll move on to the guy I have a problem with. It's Craig Wasson as Neil Gordon. Uh, before this, he did a lot of TV. He was on Roller Coaster, The Boys and Company C, Carney, Body Double. After this, he was in Midnight Fear, Malcolm X, and Aquila and the Bee. What do we think of Craig Wasson? He's fine. He is the straight man for the entire film, which, again, which... is fine. You need to have somebody asking the audience questions in a situation like this. I'm fine with that. But he approaches those scenes with Nancy like they're going to have a romance. And yes, I know it's the 80s, but I still don't like it. I don't know about that so much. If anybody's got a character that's thin on the page, it's him. Yeah. He has nothing to work with. Mm-hmm. I mean, zip. Mm-hmm. If there is one glaring flaw, it is that they have written this character to do nothing but drive exposition. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so it's almost like I can't even blame him because he has no idea what to do between scenes. Which means he's wildly in different modes in any given moment of the movie. Mm-hmm. Again, it is that difference of there are moments where it clicks into place with his character and makes sense. Mm-hmm. Versus, I don't know that I got that from Nancy. Fair. Mm-hmm. All right. Next, we go to probably like the biggest 
person in this film besides Robert England himself. It's Patricia Arquette as Kristen Parker. This is her debut. Mm-hmm. After this, because we've never talked about her before. Nope. She would go on to do Far North, Uncle Buck, The Indian Runner, Ethan Frome, True Romance, Edward, Flirting with Disaster, Lost Highway, Nightwatch, Stigmata, Bringing Out the Dead, Little Nicky, Holes, Medium, Fast Food Nation, Boyhood, Boardwalk Empire, Toy Story 4, and most recently, Severance. What do we think of Patricia Arquette? She's already a star. Absolutely. Like- Has nothing to work with character wise because these movies don't do character no but she does a really great job but she figured it out well here's what i think they did well for her is they gave her an archetype and said and she knew what to do with that she knew enough to know what to do with that yeah they made her turbo nancy which i'm fine with that makes sense no it's awesome it's great and it's a great device for making the for for propelling the story forward Mm -hmm. she has the same thing that Heather Langenkamp had in the first movie. Yeah. Which is even if everybody around her feels off the rails, mm. she feels real grounded. Yeah, and the thing about her would I do think like that they they differentiated her enough from Nancy like she's got a lot more grit just as a person. Mm-hmm. Which I liked. That was really good. She's dealing with a lot more outward bullshit mm-hmm. than inner. Sure. They both have a lot of struggle and turmoil but in very different ways. Mm. And she's the best part of the movie, (laughs) Mm -hmm. which makes sense because, you know, she's going to be a movie star. Yeah. Robert England said that he knew she was going to go on to be a big star. And he explained that all the guys on set were head over heels in love with her. And between takes, some of them would ask him if they had a chance to ask her out. (laughs) Uh, We do have a who could have been better. Ah. Winona Ryder auditioned for the role. She'd have been great. Chuck Russell thought she was too young. Also kind of true. She reads very young. And then I think we would have her next to Heather Langenkamp, two very young faced ladies. Not that Patricia looks old. She just reads more mature. Also, we kind of talked about it. She was she was actually younger. She was like 17 when she was in Heather's. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I kind of get it. <laughs> Oh, I don't say no, but I was like, oh, she would have been good in, in one of these series. She would have been so good. Which is also why she's amazing in Stranger Things. Yes. She's she's killing it now. I mean, she's always been great. She's uh, always been great. She has always been amazing. We love her. Now it's time for Arpons. Random people of note. All right. We have Jennifer Tubin as Taryn. Uh, this is her debut. She was told by some fans that her character of Taryn had caused them to quit drugs and that made her very proud to have been in this film that's awesome that was very cool why did they have to kill her she was kind of cool yeah i mean people gotta die yo i know Uh, but you could have kept her around for a little while we have ken sagos as kincaid he will actually be back for number four Ah. um he stated in an interview that he didn't want to audition for kincaid but his agent talked him into going in but he had to walk in heavy rain to get there and then he had to wait forever and so when he became his turn, the director told him, do whatever you want to do. And he was so frustrated and mad about the whole ordeal. He just yelled, fuck you and cursed out Russell and Russell immediately hired him. Yep. That's Kincaid. That feels great. That is 100% appropriate for that character. Yeah, that worked out really well. Uh, next, we have Rodney Eastman as Joey. Um, he'll also be in four. He is also one of the bad guys in the remake of I Spit on Your Grave. Uh, 
That's a rough role to be in, to be yeah. honest. Yeah. If you know anything about I Spit on Your Grave, you know why. Yeah. I think Rodney's great. Um, he's got a very hard role because he does not talk. Until the very end of the movie. Which I also really liked. Yeah. Good face acting. Fantastic face Lots acting. of face acting. And body for, for as well. Yep. It took me a minute to realize that he was mute, which is also great. Mm-hmm. Um, I appreciate, too, that they're not trying to play it up for anything other than he has been so terrorized he does not want to talk. Yeah. Which is fair. Sure. Next, we have Bradley Gregg as Philip. Uh, he was the sidekick of Kiefer in Stand By Me and one of the bad guys in the intro of Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Ah, notable bad dude. teen teen shithead. Basically. Ah. Next, we have Ira Hyden as Will. He went on to be a CIA tech on Alias, which is one of my favorite television shows. Of course, he would nerd out later on a on a. <laughs> abram show oh it gets better in real life he was a dungeon master in high school so it made him feel secure in the role of how he got will what a dork i love Big it dork uh again would have loved to kept him around yep kind of wish they hadn't killed off the really fun ones i know uh next we have larry fishburn as max it's larry fishburn it's cowboy curtis this is a fun little role for him because it's it's funny how we saw him in Apocalypse Now and he had such a big moment for mm-hmm. kind of a debut. Yeah. And then for a long time, he was just a working actor. Yeah. And this is in that period. Yeah. And he's great. Mm-hmm. It's another one of those. You can tell he understands the assignment. Yeah. He's just supposed to be there and then he's not. That's it. Yeah. Like, that's totally fine. And And one of the few people who gives a shit about these kids. Yeah. Next, we have John Saxon as Lieutenant Thompson. He's returning from the first one. Yay. Previously also talked about him from Enter the Dragon. Oh, yeah, we did. Yeah. Poor man Sean Connery there. Yes. He's well, just drunk this whole movie. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's dealing with his trauma. Which also, fair. Totally works. Totally works. Like, I love his reluctance to go to He doesn't want to deal with this bullshit. <laughs> no. He doesn't want to do this. Except for his very end, which is just like, what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's okay, Nancy. I'm on the other side. Uh, next, we have Priscilla Pointer as Dr. Elizabeth Sims. Uh, she was previously in Carrie and Blue Velvet. Ooh, I hate this woman. This woman's awful in the best but way. But that's the point. <laughs> yeah. Uh, next, we have Brooke Bundy as Elaine Parker. She will also be back at number four. Hey! That's uh, Kristen's mom. Next, we have Kristen Clayton as the little girl. We'll also see her again in number four. I have a feeling we might see her a lot. I don't know. I'm not saying anything. Okay. Uh, next, we have Dick Cavett as Dick Cavett, as well as Zsa, Zsa Gabor as Zsa, Zsa Gabor. That scene might have been one of the f- most fun murder things I've watched. How did they convince Dick Cavett to do this? So originally Sally Kellerman was supposed to be the guest for Dick Cavett's interview, but Cavett was allowed to pick the person and he picked Zsa Zsa Gabor because he thought she was the dumbest person he had ever met in his life and he'd never have her on his show in real life. So that's the person he wanted to have killed by Freddy. I love you, Dick. That man, you can, you can give me all the talk show hosts ever. Mm-hmm. And some of them had, I mean, Many of them came up with more creative bits like Letterman and, and Conan. Mm-hmm. Dick Cavett might have been the greatest interviewer of all time. 
with the most intellectual disdain slash curiosity for everyone he met. Mm-hmm. All right, it's time for trivia. Trivia. When Taryn is first seen in the hallway, she's wearing a Dokken shirt. Dokken wrote and performed Dream Warriors, which is the credits track for this film. Okay. On the VHS release, the music video for Dream Warriors appears after the credit. The video contains a lot of scenes from the film and ends when the band vanquishes Freddy, causing him to wake up from his nightmare and ask, who are these guys? (laughs) Oh, the 1980s. At around the 38-minute mark, Jennifer is watching the movie Critters, <laughs> uh, another uh, New Line Cinema joint. When Kristen comes across the image of the roasted pig on the table and then it comes to life and growls at her, they actually roasted a pig and let it spoil, and then the prop guys puppeted it from beneath. Nice. The guy who was behind the camera, uh, our cinematographer, uh, Roy Wagner, said the stench was so overwhelming he can still smell it to this day. Yeah, that sounds about right. Special effects creator Mark Shostrom created a desiccated little girl corpse, which Kristen would discover she was holding, but it was decided that the item was too grotesque and a little skeleton was used instead. <laughs> mm-hmm. They were getting into like the deep, deep gore. Yeah, they were starting to push it. I think some of it was like they had they had guys who had already done massive types of special effects and now they had the money to go hire some of these guys. And those guys went way over the top. Yeah. For the sexy nurse scene, the set was flipped so that Rodney Eastman was standing up when he appears to be strapped to the bed. Um, he had to be spread eagle for so long that he actually passed out. And he compared it. He compared the experience to a crucifixion. Come on, guys. <laughs> There's got to be better ways to do this shit. There are now. I mean, also just sure. let him out of the thing every like hour. Mm, yeah, it takes a while to set things up. I mean, like I get it, but also like relax. Just let him walk around while you get another shot set up, and then put him back in. It's not that hard. The fire department was always on set during uh, the filming of the boiler room scene. The smoke from the machines nauseated so many of the actors and actresses. What? A- we doing you know ventilation what like you know this is this is why we're striking for better conditions man new line should have met him in the middle for 10 million just for actor safety seriously uh the original freddy snake unintentionally came out looking too phallic the crew only had an hour to film the scene so they didn't have enough time to paint it so it was covered in like this green goo stuff to kind of overcome the pink flesh hue <laughs> Um, and so the scene involving the snake attempting to swallow Kristen was filmed backwards and then played in reverse because the gums on the puppet were too flexible and they were folding over and over on themselves. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, cool. So it's a known fact that the Freddy glove was stolen from set. Oh, on yeah. So Chuck Russell gave an interview a couple years later and kind of gave an explanation on the circumstances of how it was stolen. Um, Apparently, two hardcore Freddy fans snuck onto the set, disguised themselves as movie grits, and nobody noticed them. And while on break, they grabbed the glove and left while no one was looking. Dudes rock. Pretty cool. Dudes rock. That's pretty Uh great. I'm not mad. Mm -hmm. 
director Russell stated that in an interview that the mirror sequence was really difficult to do because this was before CGI. So they had to get inventive and they literally were manipulating Mylar in front of a camera to get that shot done. <laughs> That's pretty cool. What do we do? I don't know. Just try this. Hey, it worked. Anytime I see a shot that's just a, a, a huge wall of mirrors or mirror on mirrors, I'm just like, where's the camera? My brain wants to figure it out because it's fucking hard. I goddamn enter the dragon scene. Oh, yeah. Fucking what? Oh, yeah. When Nancy uh, meets the teenage patients, uh, Philip says, welcome to the snake pit. Snake pit is a slang term for mental health facility and is a common term throughout most of the 20th century. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I did not know that etymology. Yeah, there you go. Ira Hayden and Jennifer Rubin, Will and Taryn, would go to lunch with their costumes on and people would stare at Jennifer like she was an alien. <laughs> Pretty good. Uh, the bar where Nancy and Dr. Gordon meet Nancy's father is called Little Nemo's. Little Nemo in Slumberland is the name of a comic strip by Windsor McKay about the adventures of a child in the land of dreams. Mm-hmm. I've seen that movie. It's mm-hmm. weird. Yeah. Don Bluth, yo. <laughs> the original teaser trailer featured the little girl in her bedroom singing Freddy's rhyme in the Freddy Clop popping out of the popsicle stick house. <laughs> Pretty good. This film marks the first time that shows Freddy actively using his victims' weaknesses against them. Ah. And that brings us to ratings. 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 So for each film, we have to have a special rating system. For this one, it should be Freddy Snakes. Mm. I mean, it could also be the uh, the Hypnol or whatever the fucking drug was to help him not dream. <laughs> Hypnotil. It was so It was some weird medicine (sighs) i really like the story on this one um the acting is not great but patricia arquette is is good and that's the most important thing (laughs) um i feel like it's a four i feel like it's a four whoa and it's really the bad acting or or bad dialogue setup that is knocking it down a point and like the romance vibes between nancy and dr what's his butt like that's what's really knocking it down for me but the story is really good i really like the story on this one so it's it was a fun watch that seems very high i can't go three because that's what i gave two and this is definitely better than two Mm. i think i'm gonna go three and a half okay that that bad acting is bad acting yeah i guess it just didn't bother me enough and that dialogue is better than some of the dialogue we've had but still not good. Yeah. Like, it it can be real laughably on the nose. It is, however, an incredibly great story that he kind of... I, I know they remade it, and it was a frustrating set of remakes. But, like, if you want to punch these again and really thought through them mm-hmm. of one and three, and then maybe even going for two down the line, I think you have a really compelling story. Yeah. Like it, it's these three movies have something going for, but I can't I can't get up to a four. <laughs> also, I'm still mad about the grown up stuff. The grown up stuff in all these movies is like, oh, for fuck's sake, mm-hmm. let them be normal people. I do understand the reaction of like, absolutely not that they're just out of their minds, but calling it a moral failure. 
that doesn't even fly by 80s mental health standards. Mm-hmm. Like, it's like, what the fuck is this nonsense? Yeah. It's it's a three and a half for me. Okay. All right. Well, next up is, uh, you know, cruising on to the next nightmare. Number four, Dream Master. <laughs> dream Warriors, Dream Master. Mm-hmm. Think we're going to have any more dreams in this series? Yes. <laughs> His primary mode of terror is sleeping dreams. So yeah, I don't think I don't think we're ever going back to Freddy's. Got to make it in the real world again. Yeah, I don't. I don't think so. That was a poor idea. <laughs> well, until next time, have a good movie. Thanks for listening. Be sure to review and rate us on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcast. For questions, comments, and recommendations, you can email us at macintoshandmod at gmail.com or find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook.